You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 63 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson. In April 2018, the Australian Productivity Commission published their draft report titled Superannuation, Assessing Efficiency and Competitiveness. The report focused on EPRA funds, but also touched on SMSFs. And these comments regarding SMSFs caused an outcry in the SMSF industry. I wanted to know what it was in this draft report that caused this commotion. So I went to see Kevin Bungert, the CEO of Class, who kindly agreed to walk us through the issues Class raised in their response to the Productivity Commission. My first question to Kevin is, what is the Productivity Commission? What do they do? Here's Kevin. The Productivity Commission is a government organisation that's basically set up to review all sorts of things. So they look at different areas of the economy, different markets, and look at what recommendations they can make around potentially policies and practices, regulation and so forth are required. In this particular case, they were looking at the superannuation industry and and specifically around the efficiency of superannuation. They put out the draft report. They made a mixture of recommendations and findings. And I guess of particular note was most of the report is focused on APRA funds. It's focused on big super and uh, how that turns out for the members and, and the outcomes that they receive and the efficiency of what they're doing. There's not a lot in the actual draft report about self-managed super funds. Probably the most important finding was around performance of self-managed super funds relative to APRA funds and therefore made a finding that self-managed super funds that were less than a million dollars were not necessarily competitive with the APRA funds. I think the concern across the industry was that this was a draft report. In the final report, it was therefore quite likely that they might make a recommendation around that. And there were a number of people who even just in the press as the draft report came out were then sort of saying, oh, well, then we should have a limit of a million dollars before you can start a self-managed super fund. And the level at which you should start a super fund, having a balance and constraints around when you should start a self-managed super fund has obviously been a a common theme over time. A million dollars is probably a bit high based on most people who are in the industry. It would cut out over 50% of... Oh, yeah, yeah, more. I mean, if you look at the balances of super funds in general and how they're distributed... Yes, the average is 1.4 million, Yeah, that would include some rather large super funds. Correct, but if you would kind of look at even our benchmark report and look at those funds that have got more than a million dollars, you're only talking about 30% of the industry. So you're talking about two-thirds of those funds basically being said that they would, they shouldn't be there. And that's funds that are established, let alone when you start. So starting balances would be lower. So mm-hmm. saying you shouldn't start a super fund until you had a million dollars seems a little bit counterintuitive. We had seen some data that was sort of questionable about performance of self-managed super funds at different times by different organisations. And certainly some of the ATO data, as you look at it and go, that, that doesn't really add up with what we yes. see. You know, where does that come from? We decided to look into that and go, well, what's going on with these numbers? Why do these numbers not look like what we'd expect to see, what we hear from practitioners in the industry? I think the Productivity Commission called out that the way that the ATO was measuring performance was 
quite different to the way that the APRA funds measure performance and that you shouldn't compare them. And then they went and put them side by side and compared them anyway. And of course, the problem is that media commentators and others who might have a vested interest in promoting APRA funds over self-managed super funds might look at that data and just go, well, okay, I'll ignore that disclaimer and just go for the comparison. So we thought it was important to kind of understand, well, what's the differences there, first of all? Why can't we get an apples to apples comparison here? What's really preventing us from comparing this? Because it seems kind of odd that in an industry where we're reporting on the benefits for members that we can't agree on what their performance is. So that was the first thing we kind of looked at. And then we worked through a number of other parts of that in terms of the broader problem. But in a nutshell, was let's have a look at what's going on with these numbers and see if we can figure out how we can actually compare them more directly. When you just look at the report as such, then the, the differences are mind-staggering, a materially lower return on average than larger SMSFs, a difference of over 10% per yeah. year. When, yeah. when you just hear those sound bites. Yes, yes. And the AFR the morning after the draft report came out would have had a copy. Well, they, they, yeah, but they also had a copy of the graph that's in the report that shows less than $50,000 funds losing something like 18% a year or something, which, again, just doesn't make any sense to anybody who's in the industry. Sure, people will start a fund with $50,000 and in the first year they will incur additional costs. But to think that they're going to sit there year in, year out, losing 17, 18% of their investment kind of doesn't gel. It doesn't make sense. So we wanted to understand, well, why does that graph look like that? What did they actually measure? And one of the things we, we say in the report in our submission was that people look at that graph and it says it's measured over a 10-year period. In the period that it covers, it starts in 2006, runs through 2015. And you might think, well, does that mean that if I had a $50,000 fund in 2006, that it's it's lost year on year 18% over the 10 years? And the answer is no, that's not what it's actually telling you. Now, the other graph that they provide for the APRA funds is telling you performance over 10 years. Again, not only are they not even measuring the performance in the same manner, they're not even answering the same question, which is how did a $50,000 fund perform over 10 years? Instead, what they're doing is mashing together data each year and saying, if a fund happened to be $50,000 in that year, what was its performance? And so they're kind of collecting all the $50,000 each year together. So the important thing is it doesn't answer the question of, well, if you take $50,000 invested in year one and at year 10, on average, what would you have seen as the performance for that self-managed super fund? And part of our submission was saying, well, that's the question they should be answering. We looked at that over five years because that's enough data to look over five years far. But over five years, we were able to show that if you start with a smaller balance, sure, you incur some costs up front, but there's not as big a difference. It basically isn't a vast difference. You're certainly not losing 18% a year. It's more like you're slightly a you know, percentage or so behind what you would be doing with a larger fund. On average, and I think this is part of the thing that we have to be careful about, is when you start talking about averages of uh, 600,000 self-managed super funds, obviously the experience of one fund compared to another is quite different. In the APRA space, you're talking about a much smaller number of funds. They're much bigger. They have millions of members, but talking about a much smaller number of funds. When you talk about the variation between one fund and another, talking about a few hundred funds rather than, uh, in our case, uh, 600,000 self-managed super funds. And obviously one of the things that people have been interested in is how much the size of a fund affects performance. So on average, 
self-managed super funds actually are performing better over the period that we measured. And again, it's important to note that the investment strategies of self-managed super funds are different to the APRA funds asset classes they invest in and so forth. So you will get different outcomes at different times. And sometimes one strategy will be better than the other. So it's obviously important to look at these things over time, over the 10-year period that the Productivity Commission was looking at. If you remove the variation around the formula that they're using, they're the self-managed super funds on average outperformed, the APRA funds on average. It's a very important point. Let's step through this in, in parts. So let's first of all talk about the fact that the formula that the ATO uses is different to the formula that APRA uses. And let's talk about why that that comes about and what the differences are. And then I think we'll talk about the smaller funds and other things. The first thing is that the Productivity Commission, when they got the data from the APRA funds and from the ATO, the APRA guidelines provide a formula that the funds have to use. The ATO uses a different approach. They use a thing called the ROA, Return on Assets, and the APRA funds are using an ROR. And what does ROR say? Rate of Return. Now, they're both trying to measure performance over time. And in general, most people will understand that is measured by saying, what are the earnings and put that over the assets that were invested? The problem is nobody can agree on how to calculate what the earnings were and how to count what the the actual assets were that were invested. Then they're both different. In the case of the Productivity Commission, they pointed out that these formulas were different. And in a technical summary, technical supplement that they provided, they also did the analysis where they took the APRA fund returns and restated those using the ATO's formula. So they did an ROA calculation for the APRA funds. And their outcome from that was that they basically the APRA funds performed on average worse than the self-managed super funds over that period. They stated in that that therefore they assumed that if they could recalculate the self-managed super fund data with an ROR, then that would probably be better as well. But they didn't have enough data to do that. So they weren't able to do that. So they left it out of the report. And instead, in the report, they just compared the two apples and orange numbers. And obviously, that led to the general understatements from the press and so forth that SMSFs are actually underperforming. The exercise we went through was to look at what the differences were in the formula and then work out how to restate that. And when we restated the ATO data using an estimate of the ROR, the self-managed super funds are actually doing better than the APRA funds. I think now that we understand that the ATO formula is inherently going to understate performance compared to the APRA form. The question then is, well, why does that happen? What is it that they're doing differently? We go into detail in the formulas as to exactly how they calculate it and how you arrive at the numbers. Two of the big factors in the APRA funds, they don't include contributions tax. So the 15% on contributions flowing into the system, they do not count as an expense. Therefore, it doesn't come out of your earnings. Whereas in the ATO number, they do count that. Well, why does the ATO do that? This is philosophical. The Productivity Commission started with a statement that they wanted to measure your return net of everything. And that means if you're paying fees, if you've got expenses, if you've got tax, what do you end up with at the end of the day in terms of money in your pocket, essentially? This concept of net of everything is a valid concept. And you want to try and understand that because you want to know, well, what are you actually receiving? The difference, though, is if you include the contributions tax, when you think about it, contributions tax is not 
tax on the earnings. It's not tax that's a result of your investment decision. It's income tax. And instead of you paying whatever your marginal tax rate would be, you're paying the 15% tax. And that's taken out right at the beginning. It's taken out as the money is coming in. It's contribution tax. So to include that in your return figures, the argument is, well, you shouldn't include that because that that should just be taken out and then look at how the rest of what you've got left actually performs. Look at how it performs once you take that out. And that's what APRA does. And we agree with that approach. We think that's sensible. It's not tax on the earnings. It's tax on money coming into the system. But the ATO looks at it and basically says, well, it's just tax. Tax is tax. There's a philosophical argument there. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter if they do it one way or the other. But what we do want to see is that when you're comparing SMSFs and APRA funds, do it consistently. We happen to agree that the APRA fund is probably the better approach. The second factor is the insurance premiums are counted by the ATO. So if your fund has insurance, and about 20% of self-managed super funds are actually paying insurance premiums, those insurance premiums are not really part of your investment return. Insurance, you can think of as an investment in terms of a downside or it's an investment to reduce your risk exposure in the future. But the premium essentially is not part of an expense that then results in a return within the super fund. The payoff is much later if you claim on the insurance. APRA, again, takes the view, well, that's not part of your investment expense, so we won't include that. We'll look at it outside of the insurance. And it also, you, you, if you do that, you also exclude any insurance payments that come in. So if there are claims, you don't include those either. So it does work both ways. And essentially, you say, well, look, let's put insurance over there and look at insurance separately. It shouldn't really be factored into your returns within the super system. The ATO just counts that as another expense. So they're probably the two biggest factors. And then there's some numerical issues with the way the formulas, which we compensated for in the submission as well, to sort of say, well, if you compensate for that, that also makes a small difference. But the two big differences were around the inclusion of contribution tax and the inclusion of the insurance premium. I just find it very strange that the ATO decided to invent their own formula when there was already a well-established formula in the marketplace? I think when you look at performance, if across the industry, there are different ways to measure performance. It's something that people will have debates on as to the best way to do it. So I don't think there's much point in kind of necessarily saying, well, the ATO shouldn't have done this or they should have used some other formula. I think what's important, and we make this point in the submission, is that when it comes to comparing numbers, let's just do it the same way. And if the ATO wants to argue that theirs is the better way to do it, that's fine. What if APRA and the ATO provide both the numbers? They both provide an ROA and an ROR. And then you can choose which numbers you want to believe, which ones you think are appropriate. But the point is you can compare ROAs with ROAs and ROAs with ROAs and not try and mix them up. I think that's the point. And if investors or advisors want to choose one set of numbers over the others, that's fine. But what we don't want to see is that people are comparing a number that's understating performance relative to another formula and comparing those in an inappropriate way. So the differences between the two formulas, the names they stand for, it really doesn't make a lot of difference. They're both trying to measure the same thing, which is if you've invested money, what did you earn? That's obviously the goal. And basic formula is if I put the earnings over the assets that were invested, then that will give me a return. Where it gets interesting is what you include in earnings. And essentially earnings is like your P&L. So it's I got some income and I've got some expenses and the net of those is my earnings. And what you include as income, what you include as expenses 
can vary the output. And it's one of the areas where the APRA funds and ATO disagree in terms of what, how do you count the income and the expenses. So that's the first area of variance. The other one is what do you include in the denominator? What do you include as the amount of money that you have invested? And the main difference there is whether you look at including the earnings that you're receiving during the year as well. And if you do that, it will actually reduce your your returns. The basic approach is the same. There's some variances in terms of what they include in both of those numbers, the earnings and the assets that are invested, and that leads to the differences. So APRA uses ROR, meaning rate of return, to measure the performance of APRA funds. And the ATO uses ROA, meaning return on assets, to measure the performance of SMSFs. So that's the first difference and a big factor in why the two statistics measure something completely different. But in total, there are three differences between how APRA and the ATO measure performance. So I asked Kevin to walk us through those as well. The three factors are these. The first one we've already talked about, the ROA and the ROR, so how you measure performance. The next two, the the bracket bias is about what numbers you include in the returns. Because they are grouping funds by size, the first question is, well, when do you measure their size? Do you do it the average size in the year? Do you do beginning year, doing the end of the year? And maybe what's a bit surprising is it actually gives you quite a different result if you group by opening balance or closing balance. Essentially, if you group by closing balances, if you think about it, you're going to tend to pick funds that underperformed because that's why they've got lower balances. And in fact, all you're demonstrating is if you underperform, you will end up with a lower balance, which is kind of self-evident, really. And if you do that over a long time, then you will tend to collect all of the funds that are underperforming into the lower categories rather than into the higher categories. And that's where that selection bias comes in. Whereas if you talk to most people and say, well, how would you measure performance or how would you group these funds? Most people will say, well, what did you start with? If I had three funds and they all had $50,000 at the beginning of the year, How did they go and where did they finish up at the end of the year? How did they perform and look at that? Rather than saying, well, where did the funds end up at? And then not necessarily being that concerned about what they started with. I think more logical to start with the opening balance. And it makes a surprising difference. It makes actually over a 10% difference for smaller funds in the smaller categories in the brackets that the ATO is using if you start with the opening balance rather than grouping them by closing balance. The third factor that we looked at in the submission was what are you actually showing in this graph? What is this graph doing? Most people would expect that the question that's being answered is how did these funds perform over 10 years? And in fact, the way that the ATO is grouping the data, it's not actually demonstrating performance over time at all. It's actually a group of individual year returns and then grouped by size. The important thing is what people want to understand is if I invested money at a certain point over time, on average, would the would the return be expected to be? In this case, what did you see over those 10 years from 2006 to, to 2015? And that's not what the data is showing. We're not sure why the ATO doesn't do it that way. We've suggested in the submission that they should just do that. They did something like it where they had a infographic that they put out 
as part of their statistical reporting, where they looked at funds that started, that were established and had $50,000, and then they tracked those through the next five years and then looked at where they finished up in terms of the size of those funds. About 7% of them were actually wound up within that period, so people who started a fund but obviously decided not to proceed. But many of those funds were much larger. In fact, there was a very small percentage that were actually still in the 50000 range at the end of five years. What they didn't do when they did that is actually say, well, what was the performance of those funds on average over that five-year period? And we've asked if the ATA could actually do that. And what's more, for the Productivity Commission, it would be good if they were to do that over the 10 years and to do it not just for funds that were established at that point but also just just say any other funds that were whatever balance they started with group them at that point and then track them over the 10 years because I think that's what people want to see is how are funds performing over time and that's what they measured for the APRA funds they should measure the same thing for the self-managed super funds. And were you able to measure that? Yes, so we looked at the fund data that we had. We looked at the funds that have been on class for for that five-year period. Uh, So it's a different period to the period that the Productivity Commission looked at. And that's important because... When you look at time periods, obviously, if you include a 10-year period at the moment, you get the GFC. Hence, the return would be much greater because you started at a much lower point. Uh, No, it's the other way around. What happens is if you're including 2008, 2009 Ah, in the period, you will have a couple of years of terrible performance and they'll drag the average down. So when you look at the numbers in the Productivity Commission or even in our response and you're looking at returns that are in the 5.5, seven to sort of 6.7 kind of range, that's because they're including that period of very poor performance. In fact, there's a whole range. If you look across the 10-year period, talking about years where in some cases you're looking at nearly 20% returns and in other years you're looking at minus 6% returns. So the period that you look over is important. That said, though, the five-year period that we looked at, the performance across those five years for the $50,000 funds compared to a million-dollar fund was actually roughly in line. So they were all over 5%. They were in the sort of 5 to, to sort of 6% range of return for that period. So although there is a definite correlation between the smaller the fund, the lower the return, the variation is much, much smaller than that that was found in the data that was provided to the Productivity Commission. So once the draft report is provided by the Productivity Commission, the industry and other parties who are interested in responding to that can put a submission in, which is then taken into account when the Commission prepares their final report. There must be probably a couple of hundred submissions already at this stage in response to the draft report. You can make one of those as an individual if you want. Obviously, the associations and research organisations and so forth have all made various submissions. And do you know if they have stressed the same points? Uh, They're all making different points. So some of them will be looking at, for example, picking up on some of the draft data. And we've seen at least a couple of the submissions where they have said, we should bring in a a limit saying you can't set up a self-managed super fund until you have a million dollars, for example. So some people are just taking what was in the draft at face value. There are others like the submission that Classes has done, but also the SMSF Association put in. We, We worked with them to provide some of the data in their submission as well. They looked at a broader range of issues than we looked at. In that case, they're looking at some of the things that are in the draft and saying, we, we don't think this is right. Here's some additional information. Here's some things to consider. Here's some factors you didn't mention. So it really is the opportunity for the industry to provide feedback to the Productivity Commission to say, okay, we, we, 
we've seen what you've got there. Here's some additional information. And obviously, in our case, we focus particularly on the performance measures because we thought that that was the finding that they were then basing what we think will be a final recommendation around the million dollar viability of, of a self-managed super fund. So we thought it was important that we address that, that we look at that and kind of go, okay, it's, it's important that you get this right, that performance needs to be measured correctly, that you need to understand that the way you measure performance and the way you measure performance over time should be comparable to the APRA funds. So the draft was issued in April 2018. Do you know how much longer the submission period is? The submission period for feedback is actually closed. So the Productivity Commission, they'll be processing that feedback, the additional submissions they got as part uh, in response to the draft. They'll be working on that now. They're due to hand down their final report sometime in 2019. Exactly when that is, it's not sort of fixed. That report then effectively goes to the government. It's up to the government then to look at the recommendations and findings that are included in that report and decide on which of those they're, they're going to act on. Some of those will just be regulatory change that will be picked up by the appropriate departments to go and take those recommendations and act on them as they see as appropriate. Others, of course, will be taken on board by the government and may therefore influence policy and they may specifically just adopt a recommendation or they may do a variation on that in terms of what they think is appropriate policy going forward. Um, that's why we think it's important that we made a submission because what we didn't want to see is, at the end of the day, policy coming out that was based on poor information. I enjoy talking about it because I think yeah. people need to understand how important this is. It's going to have a big impact on the industry. It's interesting. In the past, we've seen stuff misreported in the papers and seen some of these numbers that the ATO has put out. You will talk to other people in the industry and you'll go, oh, yeah, that can't be right. And then you ignore it and you go on. In fact, my favourite example is the one where everybody would see the data that the ATO was putting out about the number of corporate trustees versus individual trustees on self-managed super funds. And the ATO kept saying that it was the larger portion that was like 80% of people were individual trustees and that it was growing, that most new funds being established were individual trustees. And everybody you spoke in the, in the industry said, that, that's weird. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't gel with my experience. It's not what I see in my practice. And nobody went, oh, yeah, that's right. And eventually the ATO came out and revised the numbers and essentially flipped them around the other way and said, well, actually, corporate trustees are the bigger proportion and they are, you know, most funds being established are actually corporate trustees. The problem is, I guess, we were all too busy working and, and focused on what we're doing day to day that you see some of these things, you just ignore them. In this case, though, we can't just keep ignoring it. We can't keep just going, oh, that doesn't look right and ignore it because other people are picking that data up and they're using it in inappropriate ways. So I'm, I'm very happy talking about it. When I look at the two graphs, they look so different. I mean, it's so obvious that you can't compare. Well, and I think that's what the commission was trying to do by putting them side by side with completely different graphs and it says in the small print, you can't compare them. Welcome back. Let's hope APRA and the ATO agree on a common standard to compare APRA funds and SMSFs. In the next episode, episode 64, Ian Taylor, the chair of the Tax Petitioners Board, will talk about the professional code of conduct that affects us all. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Bye.